Moncrief on News Talk. Flag stopped. You know what that means, boys. Okay. Get ready, fellas. Roger that, Major. Command pilot to tail. What do you see back there? I can't get a read on the 349. They're still way back. Clevin's group is close and tight with us. Roger that. Keep an eye out for enemy fighters. Any second now, boys. Keep your eyes peeled. Top search and cruise, 12 o'clock high, fighters! Jesus, they're fast! Going after field crew! Fighters, 12 o'clock high! That was Masters of the Air. New episodes every Friday on Apple TV+. James Dempsey joins us once again. Afternoon, James. Afternoon, Sean. Uh, so is this like Band of Brothers, but in planes? Essentially, yeah, right. So it is kind of a spiritual sequel and carry on from Band of Brothers, which debuted uh, 22 years ago, I think, 2002, and then was followed up by the Pacific, which was about obviously the Second World War on the Pacific front rather than on European territory. And this one takes to the skies over, we'll say, Germany and Nazi occupied Europe during the 1940s. And it is a long, long in gestation project. I think it's been in production of some sorts for about 10 years and finally came to, you know, finally took off, shall we say, uh, last week, uh, last Friday, after I think being pushed out further on by the, the writers and actors strike last summer. And this was actually, I remember... I did a preview of TV shows for 2022, so it was or 23 rather, and it was supposed to come out last year. But the long, long, long awaited arrival has come, and I will say it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) This is like this was. uh, Is this the most expensive TV series ever made, or it's in that neighborhood? It's definitely in that neighborhood because the the full production cost an estimated $250 million, which is obviously a lot of money to spend. I, I don't actually know how many episodes, I'd say at least six, but you know, maybe as many as 10. Off the top of my head, I don't know how many there are. But it was a huge production. And I mean that not just in terms of scale and budget, just even geographically. Like I was reading that when they were making the sets, they have so many full-size sets, you know, things like um, like uh, barracks and uh, messes and uh, chapels on site in this kind of makeshift airbase that they actually had to provide the actors with different um, with different maps to find their way around on hmm. site. And and uh, to be honest with you, like it's if my issue with it is nothing on the technical side. Technically, this is an absolutely brilliant and totally thrilling TV show, right? Like you're watching these American uh, bombers. They're in the 100th uh, bombing unit of the what was then US Army Air Force. And they are running these bombing runs over, as I said, Nazi-occupied Europe. But they, what was kind of unusual about how the Americans did it was they did it during the daytime. So the, the RAF did these kind of, you know, kind of like night raids on cities and and drop their bombs indiscriminately sort of sort of hoping to hit targets of real military value, value whereas the american approach was to run your missions during the day be absolutely certain that you're hitting your targets 
but obviously incur huge casualties on your own side because the enemy can see you <laughs> while yeah. you're doing it. So what you have here are some very very, you know, thrilling aerial fights, right? And kind of what we heard in the clip there was a sample of one of them, which doesn't perhaps translate to radio as well as it does, obviously, in a visual medium, right? But like, I mean, they are absolutely thrilling visual fights. The problem is I'm sort of watching it going, who, now who's that? What's this person? As in, you know, we have these huge emotional moments where we see uh, planes being shot and, and going down in flames. And I'm sort of thinking, what was his name again? You know, right? Like it was just, we were introduced in the first episode to about 50 new characters. Even the main ones, I can't be quite sure I know their names. They're uh, Gail Clevin, played by Austin Butler, who's who hadn't managed to cast off his Elvis accent uh, before he started filming this <laughs> because... Because it was only a week between uh, between productions. Uh, then Callum Turner plays Major John Egan, and then two big Irish guys, uh, Anthony Boyle plays Lieutenant Tari Crosby. You would have seen him recently in the plot against America, uh, or the United States, maybe the you know the the adaptation that was on HBO a couple of years ago. And Barry, uh, well, uh, Barry, um, Barry Keoghan, uh, yeah, Barry Keoghan, obviously, uh, who you know, in fairness to him, he does manage to shine in everything he's in, and here he plays Lieutenant. Kurt, Lieutenant Curtis Biddick. But me as a non, uh, you know, me as a pacifist, shall we say, who is not very clued in to ranks or even how armies work or air forces work, I would have preferred a bit more grounding. You know, I remember watching Band of Brothers 20 years ago, and I think like the first couple of episodes are like about them training before they go off to war. And that means we as the audience get to know who these people are and uh, you know then we feel the weight of their loss if they end up dying on the battlefield much much more because we know who they are whereas here we had a kind of scene in a bar and then suddenly <laughs> they're up in the air being shot at and not only are they being shot at indiscriminately they're all wearing face masks so i even if i knew their name <laughs> I, <can't, laughs> I honestly couldn't tell you who's who or who's doing what etc uh, etc et and they just sort of seem to go from battle to air battle to air battle to air battle so i found it kind of very kind of perfunctory military you know or air well army stuff right like soldiers uh, wanting to go to war and realizing it's not fun when they get there but the aerial scenes are absolutely brilliant right like and, and there's no denying that they are tense they are exciting they're brilliantly scored the way they actually filmed it was by using the same method that they developed for the Mandalorian, right? So this is called the volume, which is where instead of putting actors in front of a green screen, you know, it's a bit like uh, U2 playing in Las Vegas. They put them inside this big room where every wall is lined with an like an LED screen. And they basically, you know, it's a really, really, really modern version of what they did 50 years ago, <laughs> where they put, you know, a terrible like background of a car uh, footage while mm. people were driving and indiscriminately uh, turning the wheel. Basically, they have upped that to, to 90 and now it's all LED and it looks fantastic. And it means that the actors have actual things to react to rather than just being told, oh, you know, there's a... There's, you know, there's a the Luftwaffe on your left or whatever. They can literally see the visually the visual rendering of it, and they react much more strongly to it. So, the, if the Mandalorian has done nothing, it has created this brand new way of filming these particular kind of fight scenes okay. uh, that take place in the air. All in, look, it may get better, it may not. If it doesn't get better, it's still a perfectly good, well-made show. But like, it, it's not going to be in its opening two episodes. It hasn't knocked my socks off. Put it that way. Yeah. 
But it, within, the, I mean, okay, so the, the the story arc is that they're doing these bombing raids during the day. It's all very risky, etc. Are there any subplots? Has anyone got a drink problem or, a, you know, a, a wife they miss or anything like that? <laughs> Tick, tick. <laughs> in both cases, <laughs> both cases, right? It is like it's very much the kind of uh, rote expectation of all that kind of stuff, right? We have guys, uh, old friends falling out, and new friends being made, and, uh, and 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 girls being written to back home, and and you know, uh, beautiful pinups being stuck on the side of the plane as they're taking off, and all that kind of stuff, right? Like it is ticking every box. And every expectation you have for a military drama, and I kind of just felt like I wanted to see something slightly newer or fresher. Yeah, right. We'll move on to our next show. It is Murder in Boston: Roots, Rampage, and Reckoning. You can stream now on Sky Documentaries. Here's a clip. October twenty third, nineteen eighty nine. Nine one one call comes into State Police Dispatch. The first thing the caller says is, "My wife's been shot." I've been shot. State Police Boston recorded emergency 510. My wife's been shot, I've been shot. Where is this, sir? They had been at a birthing class at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Where are you right now, sir? Can you indicate to me? No, I don't know. I don't know. We drove up. We made a photo of an abandoned area. Okay, sir. Can you see out the windows? Can you tell me where you are, please? No. God. Are you near Brigham and Women's Hospital? No. We went straight through. What kind of car do you have, sir? Toyota Cressida. Toyota Cressida? What color is your car, buddy? Blue. Blue Toyota Cressida. Are you in the city of Boston? Yes. Can you give me any indication where you might be? Any buildings? Uh, no. Okay, has your wife been shot as well? Yes. Right, so with a, this isn't really... Is, well, well, is it true crime or is it uh, about, about something broader than that, James? It, it's both, right? So this is, uh, you know... It, the director of this is a guy uh, named Jason. I'm going to pronounce his name as Hare, H-E-H-I-R. He's an Irish-American, I think, in, in who grew up in Boston himself. And he's a very, very um, celebrated documentarian. He made a really well-received uh, Emmy Award-winning documentary about um, called The Last Dance about Michael Jordan, uh, the basketball player, amongst other things. And here he takes this sort of one case and it is, you know, it has some of the trappings of true crime because of that. It is about a woman who is shot dead. What we heard in the clip there is her husband making the phone call. He claims that uh, in, you know, in 1989, they were victims of a carjacking. A man got into the back of the car, shot him and, and shot his wife, ultimately killing her. And she was seven months pregnant at the time. And her baby was born by cesarean section uh, in an emergency cesarean cesarean section, but ultimately died a couple of days later as well. And this became this huge, huge uh, case in the history of Boston because the husband, this man, uh, Chuck Stewart, claimed that the assailant or murderer was, uh, you know, the only thing, the only details he gave were he was a black guy in a black Adidas tracksuit. And in a city like Boston, which is sort of renowned for being one of the more racist cities in America, it seemed like it was open season on black people, on you know, on the African-American community there. So across three parts, the documentary explores essentially racism in Boston in great detail. Right. OK. And I, and, and I, yeah, I, I, I take it from that then that it wasn't uh, uh, some black kid in a tracksuit, but that everybody <laughs> was very prepared to believe that. 
That is ultimately it, right? So, I, I, look, in as much as this is a spoiler, and I don't think it is because it's a very well-publicized crime, and if you Google it, it's the very first thing that comes up, it turns out that Chuck had murdered his own wife, right? Mm. And all of the evidence immediately points towards him but in a racist city at a rate at a you know at a, at a significantly more racist time where it was absolutely okay to be you know to be a total racist, uh, the police are very very eager to believe him and jump on this. The media jumps on this as well. So in this documentary, we get you know we get like civil rights activists, but we also get journalists. We get former police officers commenting about how they went about it. You know, I think one of the most interesting things is, is, you know, we get this journalist saying how she felt she really let down the city of Boston because she had a suspicion the whole time. And she was just, it's not that she wanted to look the other way, it's just that everyone was looking the other way. So that's what she did. But of course, your job is to hold people to account. And despite the fact that, you know, a, a couple of months later, it all sort of comes to light. In that two months, this great... Um, miscarriage of justice is carried out against one particular man who then gets arrested. And what's fascinating is the documentary follows up with him and his grandchildren and his his own children 30 years later to see how this has impacted their lives and how, despite the fact that everyone knows that Chuck Stewart took his own, or murdered his own wife's uh, murdered his own wife in in uh, you know, cold blood. His, you know, the name of this man is still associated with this crime all these years later, even though he had nothing to do with it at all. It's just a really well-made, well-put-together documentary that uses true crime as, you know, as a as a focal point to make a much grander and much more interesting discussion. And it's just very, very, very well made. Yeah, it's also, uh, um, uh, and this is a spoiler, I suppose, it's it's the plot of Fool Me Once on Netflix as well, isn't it? Yeah. Um. <laughs> Well, that's one I haven't seen. Spoilers, <laughs> please. Uh, I, I'm doing you a favor now. Uh, d- <laughs> don't, don't bother. Uh, okay. It's it's kind of enjoyable because you spend most of your time screaming at it and going. But why didn't they? Why haven't they gone back to that subplot? It's it's just the most one of the more bizarre programs I've seen recently. Right, we we'll go another, to our. Uh, it's uh, another Harlan Coben. Yes, uh, job. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> right, uh, we we'll go to our third show of the day. It is Expats. Uh, new episodes every Friday on Amazon Prime Video. Here's a clip. Do you ever imagine yourself living a completely different life? Being a completely different person? All the time. I love my family, but I have this growing desire to leave them. I got an apartment in Kowloon. I just sometimes want to be alone, you know? Where I'm not somebody's wife, not somebody's mother. Where I'm not defined by tragedy and not reminded that I'm the mother of two children instead of three. You'll always be his mother, Margaret. Right, was this made a while ago, James, or did it take a long time to get to screen? So, yeah, this is based, I think, on a, I think a 2012 book called The Expatriates, um, which is written by Janice Y.K. Lee. And it was filmed during the pandemic, more towards the end of the pandemic. But it did become a bit controversial because uh, Nicole Kidman, who we heard in the clip there, flew into Hong Kong and was allowed to completely and utterly bypass all mandatory laws regarding uh, quarantine. And it was sort of very controversial because she arrived at a time, you know, Amazon 
arrived to produce this whole production at a time where obviously political tensions in Hong Kong are worsening uh, and China continues to uh, tighten the, its grasp over control of the city. Uh, so it, it is not without its controversy. Now it's made by Lulu Wang who is an American director who's probably best known for The Farewell which was out I think 2018. A really lovely, very, very funny comedy with Aquafina, and uh, this is a much more uh, contemplative and morose and sad <laughs> and very stylish but not riveting drama for me, right? So it, 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 it surrounds Nicole Kidman who plays Margaret Wu who is living in Hong Kong where we meet her in the first episode uh, <laughs> she has got this very uh, you know, she's got this short, severe bob haircut which is always the haircut of like uh, angry woman, right? You know, angry woman of a certain <laughs> age. And we get a flashback to her year before where her hair is long and curly and clearly she has suffered some trauma. And we get this introduction that's uh, about various different people who have caused tragedies and how in tragedies it's only the victims that are remembered and not the perpetrators for their actions. And the perpetrator here is Mercy, played by Ji Young Yu, who is a Korean-American woman living in Hong Kong, a student who sort of finished college and a bit adrift uh, in life. And she encounters Margaret Nicole Kidman and ends up babysitting and something goes wrong. And we, in the first episode, it's a year later. In the second episode, it flashes back to the year before. And it's all about how in sort of just an instant, life can be completely and utterly changed. And into the fray comes Sarayu Blue, who is uh, an actress who you might recognize, but certainly a name I wouldn't have wouldn't have rolled off my tongue before. She plays their neighbor, Hillary, whose uh, husband is uh, a no-good and with whom she's having various issues. And it's all about how this tragedy uh, comes together for the three women and how their lives intertwine because of it. And it's all, you know, it's all a bit like the nicest apartments you've ever seen with people looking distantly into the into the misery that they have created for themselves. <laughs> and here we have Nicole Kidman, who is obviously a very, very, very uh, beloved actress and who has this real up and down uh, success rate when it comes to prestige television. And for like, uh, although I'm loath to say it because, you know, the first one I thought was a bit mid the second of shows this week I've done this week. The second one I really, really liked. This again, is just another mid show for me. It's another, like uh, Nicole Kidman is a bit on autopilot here. You know, like we've seen her uh, do various different things in these roles, playing uh, middle-aged women who are very wealthy and, and who, you know, something is going wrong in her life. And I've seen her do this now several mm. times. Before. Now, what I will say is, although I haven't seen it of the six episodes, my understanding is that by the time you get to the fifth one, the show follows two completely separate characters, which are known as the helpers, as in the in-house staff that people in Hong Kong have. And they are kind of the nannies and maids who live in. And my understanding is that this fifth episode of six is like an indie movie by itself. It's an absolutely brilliant portrayal of kind of wealth and class and uh, labor and 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 family, etc. But, you know, I haven't seen it yet and it's it'll be two weeks before it arrives <laughs> or three <laughs> weeks before it arrives. And for me, there just wasn't quite enough beyond the beautiful styling of this 
to hook me. You know, like even what we heard in the clip there leads into this kind of very bizarre dancing sequence where uh, where where Nicole Kidman and Soraya Blues are um, Soraya Blues, excuse me, are are dancing to Heart of Glass by Blondie while you know while in the corner of in the greasy spoon of this like noodle shop in Hong Kong while in the corner the proprietors are just sort of just looking at them, and I sort of was like, yeah, that kind of hits the nail on the head. You have these two Western women uh, who are just taking up the whole. <laughs> <laughs> taking up the whole restaurant, dancing to Heart of Glass, while everyone else is just going, would you ever leave? Yes. <laughs> you know? and, I, and I thought, yeah, it just, I wanted, like, I wanted, I really wanted to like this, and I just can't say I did. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, those three shows were Masters of the Air, new episodes every Friday on Apple TV+. Plus. Murder in Boston, Roots, Rampage and Reckoning. You can stream now on Sky Documentaries and Expats. New episodes every Friday on Amazon Prime Video. James Dempsey, thanks a million. Thank you. Moncrief, weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.